I love this church. I love our God. Just think about all the things that God has done for you. It's his breath that's in our lungs. And because of that, we pour out our praise. I don't know about you, but he's been there for me in ways that are unimaginable. I hope you all have a similar testimony. And if not, the greatest above all is that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life that is everlasting. He gave up his life for you so that you can live. Now, that's, that's big. It's a great magnitude that we think about. But when I think about this church here at First Baptist Bolingbrook and all the things that we've been through, God has been there every moment of every step of the way. It's easy to come in, and, and we talked about the pipes bursting, and then when I, when I saw the, the flooding all over here, r- right after we had already agreed to step out on faith and, and, and follow him and do the, the updates and remodels and all that kind of stuff, and here it is, and we get to call the insurance to help us out with that. <laughs> I don't know why, but he keeps blessing us. Well, I, th- I do know why. Let me take that back. I know why. Because we are God's people and we trust him when we step out on faith. This is what I want for us this year. I haven't even started the sermon yet, but listen to me. I need you to understand and and give God what he rightly deserves, to give him acknowledgement. You can't get out of the bed in the morning without the blessing of our Father. It's his breath in your lungs. You can't breathe in and out without him ordaining it. I need you to recognize who God is and what he's done for you. That means spending time on your knees in prayer, thanking God for who he is, thanking God for always being there for you, for loving you in such a special and mighty way. And get your nose in this book. Read his scripture. Get to know him. We started our our reading plan today. Really short. We're going through in two years. We'll get through the entire book. I chose that plan so that I can encourage you to read his scripture, to get to know him. It's dangerous in this world. The evil one is trying to trip us up everywhere that we go. And if you don't know God in his word, if you don't know what God has called you to do, you're going to fall on your face. You're going to be led astray. You're going to think you're a Christian and be deceiving yourself. And I don't want that for you. So I, I, I can't urge you enough. You don't have to do this reading plan. You could do whatever or just pick up the Bible, read chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I, but I encourage you to read God's scripture. That's how you have a relationship with him. I don't know of any other relationship that you can have where you don't speak to the person, where you don't spend time with that person. If you don't see somebody, you don't know them, you don't call them, you don't text them, none of that stuff, you don't have a relationship. This is how we have a relationship with our Father, through prayer and the reading of scripture. But I am so grateful just for what God has done for us here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. We always come together when there's a time of need. 
you should have seen all the people that was here, you know, helping to clean up after the, the pipe burst and mopping and uh, shop vacuuming and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's still a lot of work for us to do, but praise God we can still come and worship. Did you notice that there's no flooding in here? It's so that we can come in here and do what we should be doing. It is worshiping our Lord and Savior. And we're going to be in here in prayer on Wednesdays, and I encourage and ask you to, to be there as well. We're going to start our new series today in the book of Romans. Turn with me in your copy of God's Word. We'll be in Romans chapter 1 here today. And again, this is a new year. Typically, when the calendar changes to a new year, many people take this opportunity. They look back and reflect on the previous year, and they also look forward in anticipation for the year to come. You know, it's a great time that we start, uh, oh, I'm going to start my, my, not on my reading plan, but I'm going to do all these things and start my, my new uh, workout regimen and eating right, you know, right? And new year, new you type thing. This is the time that uh, we often do. And then as we look back, we, we look at all the things that happened in the previous year, right? So if you take a moment now and look back on 2020, Think about the worst news that you received in 2020. I hate to drudge it up, but think about the worst news that you received in 2020. Maybe there's multiple things that you would just weren't ready to tackle, that you weren't ready to hear about and receive. But my question is, how did you react to that news? Just think about that. How did you react to the worst news that you received in 2022? And how did you handle that news physically and emotionally when you heard about that? Now, take a moment to think about the best news that you received in 2022. The best news. Maybe there was multiple things that happened. I hope there was. What was the best news that you received? And think about how you responded to that. How did you respond to the best news in 2022? I'd imagine that there were a ton of things that came to mind when I asked you to think about the bad things that happened because that's kind of the way we work. We dwell too much on things that aren't working, the bad things. Like we could easily dwell on all the issues and problems we have with this building instead of the good things. But I imagine there was multiple things that, that came up. And, and when we are dealing with the world and we're looking at uh, various challenges that are happening and taking place, um, it's compounded by the media that we have and that we're uh, dealing with. And, and I don't know about you, but I just can't watch the news anymore. I mean, life is, is troubling enough. You know, then you have social media, but then to turn on the news and they don't help talking about all the bad news that's happening in our local area and the state and the country and the world. It's just too much to handle. And I don't care what TV station is, but it's, it's all filled with propaganda. All of it is. I don't care what your favorite is. It's still propaganda. All the way from CNN, MSNBC, Fox, Fox News, you name it, it's propaganda. They're telling you what they want you to hear, and they just magnify the doom and gloom. 
They want you to feel hurt and helpless, like there's nowhere to turn, there's nothing to do. But it seems like the bad news just continues to get worse when we look at the challenges that you and I face on a regular basis, it's just magnified when you also look at the worldwide issues. And then you compound this with um, the, the, the fact that we're constantly at a tug of war with our, within our own flesh. We have all this stuff happen outside of us, but inside of us there's a war, there's a challenge that we have to deal with. And this tug of war is caused by sin, where we have to choose what path that we are going to take. And left unchecked, we are definitely going to be led to destruction. So while you're filling your mind with the social media, with the the Facebooks and the TikToks and, and all those things, and the Fox News and the MSNBC is leading you down the destruction, another good reason to be filling your mind, to be filling your heart with the truth of what God says in his word. You've got to compound that and and counteract everything that's going on. If you're like most people, when I ask you to think about the good things that happened this year, there probably were fewer that came to mind. Again, because we want to dwell in what's not working instead of looking at what is But sometimes um, good news can often be a brief vacation from everything that's going wrong. Does it seem like that to you? That sometimes you just get a respite from the stuff that's not working and you have this glimmer of hope and then you you are challenged with something else. But there are also times where seemingly good things are just masked for evil. It amazes me that people that don't follow God, that don't know God, don't spend time in the scripture, don't spend time in prayer, don't even darken the doors of a church that call themselves Christians and how blessed they are. How does that work? You going out living for the evil one and doing all these evil things, but want to talk about how blessed you are. I don't, I mean, it's not God that you're blessed by. We need to be sure that we understand who we're following and why. And that's why this morning we're beginning our journey through the book of Romans. This is going to be good. I want you to strap in and, and hang with me and, uh, because we're going to go through and understand and see a lot of this doctrine that, that, that pours out in these verses within this book of Romans. If you're new here watching us online for the first time, here at First Baptist Bolingbrook, I preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And so it just makes it really easy, makes it everything plain. I do this because, well, one, I'm bivocational and it's a big help for me to plan my preaching calendar. So I'm going to start at verse one and I'm going to go to verse two. I don't have to think or guess or dream up what it is that I'm going to preach next. That's, that's good for me. <laughs> so there's that. I don't have to rack my brain about what's going on. Um, I don't have to be concerned about current topics and the trends of the day. You know, I just start here and go there. We're going to go through all the, the chapters here in Romans. Um, the other benefit is that it, it also helps you. It's not just selfish, not only selfish. It helps you as well because it helps each of you understand the Bible uh, and, the, and each of the books within it in the context of its whole. 
right? There's a lot of people that like to, to do the, the, the Russian roulette and close their eyes and like, okay, I'm going to read this verse. That you're not going to get anything from that. That's how you, you go down the wrong word and take, uh, take verses out of context and make it up on your own. You got to read books within this context. How many other books do you get and just randomly go to some place? Like if you got a novel and you picked it up and you start in the middle, I mean, that would be confusing, wouldn't it? How would you understand the characters in the context if you're just randomly picking a place in the book? That doesn't make sense. So this is the, the whole Bible is comprised of 66 books. Each book can stand on its own. But together, it reveals so much about or everything about God and who he is and our place within it. Um, another benefit to you is, like, I, I have conversations with you all. I do some counseling and everything. And I don't want you to think, like, oh, he's talking about me based on our conversation the other day. <laughs> you might feel like I'm talking to you, but that's through the Holy Spirit. But I don't want you to think, oh, he's just talking about that because we got problems in the church and he needs to address it. And now he's calling me out from the pulpit. You might be getting called out, but it ain't by me. So I want you to be aware and understand that. And lastly, uh, verse by verse preaching compels me to continue to grow as a preacher and a teacher. And it drives me to, to deal with subjects that are complex and uncomfortable. So this is good for both of us. Some, a lot of, a lot of, Pastors just like to, they, they know this book, they, they know these verses, they feel comfortable with it. Um, they're, they're, it's not going to offend anybody, and they, they just feel like it's safe. And so they stick with those books, they stick with those verses. I'm going to tell you what, we're not going to be comfortable and safe in this book. You will get offended. There's a lot of tough things to deal with, and I want you to want us all to wrestle with it together. Because this is God's word and it's true. You might not like it. You might not even understand it, but it's still God's word and it is true. Okay? So I want you to stick with me through there. Now, John Piper, who, is a, um, who used to be a pastor in Minnesota, he began preaching through the book of Romans in 1998. And he finished in 2006. <laughs> so eight years and 225 sermons later, he finished the book of Romans. I promise that I won't take that long. We'll, we'll be in a better part of this year, but I think it'll be good and healthy for us to do so. Um, as we walk through Romans, there will be messages, as I mentioned, that are going to be encouraging. There will be uplifting, but there will be some that are challenging. And there will be things that you readily agree with, that you can give a hearty amen. I hope I hear some amens in the house. That's okay. You can say amen. But there will also be some discussions that will challenge your worldly values. And you will discover that some of those worldly values have crept into your own belief. And you will be challenged. The Bible as a whole is countercultural, and Paul wrote this letter to help people remember the importance of the gospel message and then to set them right back on the right path. So that's what it will hopefully be for us as well. The fundamental message of the book of Romans is that there is good news. 
not just okay news, not just all right news, but there is good news that is truly good. Throughout this letter, we see um, through uh, Christ that sin can be forgiven, that selfishness can be overcome, that guilt can be removed, that anxiety can be alleviated, and you and I can have hope in eternal glory. That's what I want us to get out of this. Now, doesn't that sound like good news? Yes, it does. Yes. So as I've been studying as a speaker and a writer, most experts tell, say that good writers, what they do is, and storytellers, in order to engage their audiences, they have a structure whereby they, they first tell the audience what they're going to tell them. They tell them and then tell them what they told them. That's what most speeches are uh, uh, structured with. And we see a similar structure here in the book of Romans. Here in Romans, Paul starts out in the first seven chapters and provides us an overview of what he is getting into in this letter and throughout the 16 chapters of Romans. Let's take a look. Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 here. And God's word reads, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here... I mean, this is a great way to introduce, like I said, he sets an overview for what it is as he's about to speak about. Let's first deal with um, the servant part. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Paul and other Christians, they call themselves servants or slaves of Jesus because a bond servant owed his life to his master. That's the connotation that we're dealing with here. And when we use this term, we declare that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Remember, I talked about people who don't live for Christ and they do all this other stuff, but they they want to talk about how blessed, they, but they haven't given themselves. Jesus is not the Lord of their lives. So they can't, by the description, call themselves Christians. Unfortunately, the term servant or slave is tainted in our American history in which slaves were bought and, and sold. They were mistreated and forced against their will. In the Hebrew sense, the servanthood was primarily voluntary. They would walk into it to, to pay down a debt or, or, or various other things. And so seeing through the, the Hebrew lens, uh, Christians would voluntarily and joyfully submit themselves to their Lord and Master Christ, who lovingly guides us through our lives, right? So as a Christian, to say that we're servants of his, we know that he has the best interest, our best interest in mind for his good. And so we would willingly submit to him because of that. We know that he's going to care for us and love us. 
as opposed to what we would think about in our American eyes of when we think about slavery or servanthood. Does that make sense? So first of all, he come in and like, hey, Jesus is the, the Lord of my life. That's, that's what people used to say when they had a testimony service. First, giving honor to God, <laughs> right? And so that, that is the personification of what it is that, that we're talking about here as far as servanthood is concerned. And then he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. We're going to dig into this because we hear uh, the name, the title, apostle, uh, a little bit more these days than, than what we used to. So what is an apostle, you might ask? This literally means that someone who was sent, and it comes from the verb to be sent out. That's the, the basis of the word apostle. And there's a couple of ways that we see apostle used in the New Testament. First, it refers to the 12 apostles that were in a very unique position, right? They, they walked with Jesus. They learned from him directly. They, they are the first messengers of the gospel after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These 12 apostles were the foundation of the church with Jesus as the cornerstone, as we see expressed in Ephesians 2 and 20, where it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So this specific office of apostle is not present in the church today. There are certain criteria that must be seen and had in order to consider yourself an apostle. Despite the fact that we have folks claiming this title in churches today, uh, I'm afraid that they don't fit what those qualifications are. The qualifications for an apostle are one, to have been witness of the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? The second qualification is to have been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. Acts 9 and 15, the Lord said to him, Go, uh, for he is chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And we see this happen throughout, right? That, that Jesus goes and he picks his disciples and, and chooses even after um, Judas had, had uh, betrayed him, right? They, they went and chose and they called another that would be an apostle. And third is to have the ability to perform signs and wonders is another qualification of an apostle. And it says, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So at that time, many uh, uh, opposed Paul and um, they challenged his apostleship because he was not one of the original 12. But if you remember from Acts, Paul originally played for the other team. He was the one going out doing the persecuting of Christians until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He had that um, encounter with the risen Savior and it was through that encounter with Christ that he was commissioned to preach to the Gentiles. Let's look at Galatians 1.11. says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul is telling us and how his encounter went, and we, we see this drawn out in, in, the, in the book of Acts, and, and he goes through and relives this for us. Now, this wasn't based on his personal merit. It was because he was a witness to the resurrected Christ and had received the gospel directly from him. He performed signs of an apostle as described in 2 Corinthians 12 and 12. It says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience and signs and wonders and mighty works. And the churches he founded were also a seal of his apostleship we see this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 2. If, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you all are, are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he, he also didn't hand his apostleship off to any other preachers. We don't see that outlined in the scripture. Apostleship was a unique office specifically for eyewitnesses of Christ. So outside of the office of apostle that we see here in the New Testament for which Paul is speaking about, there is a, a sense of a spiritual gift of apostle as outlined in Ephesians 4 and 11. So it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, uh, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So someone with this spiritual gift would be simply someone who carries and proclaims God's message. Someone who just goes out to share the gospel. And even though there are a lot of men and women who are sent by God to spread the gospel, it just causes confusion for them to take on the title of apostle. So I spent a little, little time there, but I think it's important for us to understand and get this because there are a lot of people want you to refer to them as apostles such and such. And so we need to understand what it says in Scripture to know what that means. And now, good news. What is good news? Starting again, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. The word gospel here is the Greek word euangelion and is literally translated to good news. And throughout Romans, what we see is that it refers to the entirety of a salvation, including justification, sanctification, and glorification. And we'll get to that as we continue through the book and what those mean. This, this good news wasn't anything new. Paul didn't make it up on his own. He didn't try to tell people or feed people that this is good news. It was there from the beginning. It's the fulfillment of promises that were made about the, the saving activity of God that was prepared beforehand in the Old Testament. So the Jews, they expected 
a Messiah who would come and, and reign on David's throne, but they didn't expect him to be divine. John 5 and 18 uh, allies it this way. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. File that away for later. We'll talk more about that as well. However, the heart of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is good news. He is the fulfillment of the promises and the Messiah who provides grace to his people. He is the one we submit ourselves, our lives to, and that we follow. This gospel regards God's son who was born of a physical mother, making him fully human, and also conceived by the Holy Spirit, making him fully divine and sinless, as we talked about last week. Jesus was raised by a father who was a descendant of David and thus puts him in the royal lineage in Israel. By the power of God, Jesus conquers death and the grave. And this, brothers and sisters, is good news. It's good news because our Lord and Savior put on flesh and came to live among his people. He came to to live a life that was free from sin, to be a perfect, spotless sacrifice for you. Even though he was tempted, he did not sin. What we rightly deserve is death. As we continuously fall short of God's uh, perfect rules and laws. But Jesus came and fulfilled all those on your behalf. And as he gave up his life on the cross, he did so for you and I. And he conquers the evil one. He conquers the grave and rose on the third day. And now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is what we celebrate. We celebrate him giving up his life for us. We celebrate him conquering the grave. And we celebrate him ascending to the Father, sitting at his right hand. He gave up everything for you. He paid the price that was meant for you to pay so that you can have life. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. The alternative is death. The alternative is eternal separation from God. The alternative is a real literal hell where there'll be anguish and gnashing of teeth. But instead, should you choose to follow him, You get life that is eternal, where there'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more struggle. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we worship our Lord. And we get a peace. We get a glimpse of it every day that we're able to wake up. Every day that he puts breath in your lungs, we get to experience a little piece of heaven. When we get to see how he blesses us individually and corporately, we get a taste of what heaven will be like when we get to be with him and spend time with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. 
help us not let any day go by that we don't acknowledge and recognize your handiwork within it. And even though things don't always go our way, Father, um, help us to really dwell on the truly good news that as, as bad as things can get here on this earth, we still have much to look forward to. That we get to look forward to the days where we get to be in your presence and, and worship you for the rest of eternity. Help us to meditate on those things and that it would overshadow anything bad that might happen. That we look to you for your continued shaping and molding and guidance that you would have for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.